Hey everyone, this is Evan Wickham, and thanks for listening to the Park Hill Church Podcast. We are committed to practicing the way of Jesus together in San Diego. Right now, all around the world, in the midst of everything that's going on, the Church of Jesus is celebrating the third week of Advent. If there's anything 2020 has shown us, it's that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And yet we have a greater reality deep in our bones. Those of us who follow Jesus and are filled with the Spirit, we have hope. Just like Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to the Father, so too we who follow Jesus will be raised from the dead when Jesus comes back. And he's gonna make every sad thing come untrue and he's gonna judge rightly. And until then, we as his people pray and work that his kingdom might come on earth as it is in heaven. So in a moment, we're going to hear this week's teaching from Tanika Wyatt. But before we do, we're continuing our Advent interviews with Park Hill Kids. Well, hello, everyone. I'm here with another very special guest. What is your name? Can you tell us? I'm so excited you're here. Amelie, how old are you? I'm six. You're six years old. Do you like being six? Yeah. Yeah? Amelie, will you tell me what is your favorite thing about Christmas? Well, I like opening the presents and I like decorating the Christmas tree. Yes! Those are two very great things. Are you pretty good at baking cookies? Yeah. So, I, me and my mommy, we put the crackers on, we melt butter in it, and then we put sugar in it. Oh my goodness. I wish I was eating one of these cookies right now. What's your favorite kind of cookie? I like chocolate chip cookies. Me too. I love chocolate chip cookies. What's another thing that you love about Christmas time? I go to my grandma's house. Sometimes we bake cookies and sometimes we each get a present. What kind of present are you hoping you get this Christmas? Mm. I really want makeup. Oh my goodness, that would be fun. Anything else? I also want a stuffed animal, an elephant. Elephant. Oh, so cute and fun to hug. What kind of animals do you think were there when Jesus was born in a manger? Donkey. A donkey? I think that's probably right. Any other kind of animals? Um, horse. Horses? How about one more? Cow. Probably. Yeah. Do you plan on getting your brother and sister a present for Christmas? Uh, yeah. I think I'm going to get Florence an LOL doll. She will love that. How about Beckham? Going to give him Legos. Great ideas. You are so smart, Amelie. Is there anything else you want to tell me about Christmas that gets you very excited? Yeah, um, sometimes we also put lights um, on the backyard and it's also on the roof. That's so beautiful. And your neighbors get to see it and all the people that drive by your house. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited for Christmas and I'm also so excited to see you at church. Thank you so much for talking to me today. You're welcome. All right, Amelie, I will see you next time, okay? Okay, bye. Bye.
Good morning, Park Hill. How are y'all doing? Um, it is such a pleasure to be here with you this morning, and um, we are thankful for the opportunity to serve, thankful for the opportunity to be with um, families and get to know you, and um, yeah, it's just been such a blessing. Thankful for my uh, wonderful hunk of a husband that you saw earlier um, doing ministry with him, so that's always a blessing as well. Let me put this down. Um, yeah, so Leah introduced me. My name is Tanika Wyatt, and um, we've been here for um, just a few years, kind of right before the launch, and um, it, it was a reluctant move. We didn't know what God was doing, but God has certainly proven himself to be faithful to us, as I'm sure he's been faithful to you, and we are just so, um, so honored and so blessed to be a part of this wonderful family. So we're just going to get right into the word this morning, and um, we are talking about Advent justice. This month, we're in a series, um, this, this Advent justice, justice series, um, and customarily we celebrate Advent four weeks leading up to Christmas, along with Christians all over the world. And um, I've, I've been in church practically my whole life, but in my church tradition, there wasn't a focus on Advent. Um, there was little attention given to that. So this is fairly new to me, like it might be for some of you. So every year I have to dig a little deeper, do a little more research to, to understand and remind myself, what is Advent? Advent comes from a Latin word that means coming. And it is this longing and expectation we have for the coming of Christ. Today we celebrate with anticipation for Christmas, God manifesting himself in the flesh, revealing himself through the birth, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. This long-awaited promise fulfilled. And at the same time, as Aaliyah mentioned, we're also um, waiting for that second coming of Christ, him breaking through the clouds to rescue his saints and to judge the world. And this waiting is an acknowledgement that Jesus, that we need him to come and rescue us and make things right, to make the wrongs right. And so this, this year, we appropriately couple Advent with the word justice. We know what's going on in the world today, and there's been a lot of outcry for justice. So we couple the word, of ad, the word Advent with the word justice as we are desperate for Jesus to enter into our world now in 2020 and to make things right. And in Evan's message a couple Sundays ago, he started this series um, talking about Genesis. He took us to Genesis 18, where God called Abraham and the seed of Abraham to follow after the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. This longing that we have, this longing that we have is to see the manifestation of God setting the chaos into order piercing the darkness with light and showing us what is right and just. And I'm just going to pause and just pray for a moment. God, we thank you for your presence here today. God, as we celebrate Advent, this, this waiting that we have, this longing for you, 
We know that you are already here, but still our hearts long for more of you. And God, we pray in this moment, God, as we um, rehearse your scriptures and our ears are attuned to what you have to say, Father, I pray that you would plant seeds in good ground, that you would break up our stony hearts, that you would help us to be able to receive from you, to hear from you, God, and to grow, to learn, God, to be more spirit-filled, God, to follow after your ways and your words. And we surrender to you right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. You know, this year I've had lots of discussions with friends and colleagues about what justice actually looks like. And even more importantly, people are asking, what are we supposed to be doing? What do I do? And today I feel the need to press into uh, what justice looks like in the body, in the body of Christ, and point us to Jesus Christ, the ultimate example of relinquishing privilege for the sake of justice. Now, let me tell you, I know this is not easy. Usually here in America, especially when we talk about privilege, when we have this privilege conversation, we're, we're usually talking about white privilege. And so it would be easy for me as a black woman to point to you, to point to others and say, this is what you should be doing. This is what you need to, to do better at. But let me tell you, as a believer... I also have to recognize my privileges and be ready to lay them down for someone else. And sometimes I don't want to do it. So I know this privileged conversation is not an easy one to have because nobody wants to give up their rights. Justice was defined earlier in this series as inconveniencing yourself, especially for the worthless person the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the poor, the marginalized, the vulnerable. Of course, we know none of these people are actually worthless, right? They're all God's image bearers. He values them. But if we are honest, there are those who are a burden on society. There are those who are burdensome to us. They're not the wealthy, not the celebrities, not the entertainers, not the inventors or the businessmen or the academians. They bring no real value to us. In fact, some of them are nuisances and could easily be discarded. Maybe for you today, it's not the widow. Maybe it's the homeless person who lays at the entrance of your favorite coffee shop. Those people who live on the wrong side of town Maybe it's the person that you pay to do the things that you don't want to do. Or maybe it's a little closer to home for you. That person who cheated you or wronged you, that annoying neighbor, that family member, family member who asked for money again and again. Whether it's a certain ethnic group or the people who live in your home you know who those people are. And the problem is that that kind of arrogance, that lack of love, mistreating others, those injustices are not the ways of our Lord. 
And when we call ourselves Christians, but we do not do as Christ did, we break the third commandment by misrepresenting God's character and his name, just as we heard a couple weeks ago. Remember, going back, God's name cannot be separated from his character. And when we call ourselves his children and wear his name, but we do not do what he says, we take the name of the Lord in vain. My question to you as you walk through life is, who are you representing? What is your chief identity? Is it a political party? Is it a social movement? Is it mask or no mask? Is it vaccine or no vaccine? Or is it a child of the king who bears his name and is willing to lay down his life, her life for others? If we truly follow Jesus, we should carry his name well and live as he lived. Let's go to the scriptures, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. James says, what is calling What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask ask God for it. And even when you ask... You don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. I think this is interesting because he's not talking to the world. He's talking to the church. And James comes right out and says, the reason there's no unity and instead we have wars and fights and no justice is because we are greedy and jealous and we don't trust God for what we want or need. We are pleasure seekers and our pursuit of our own desires causes us to kill. With our own words and by our actions, we demean one another and we chip away at the life inside of other brothers and sisters. We elevate our own rights and our comfort above unity within the body. We prioritize our privilege above meeting the needs of others. We would rather fight and devour one another than to ask God for what we need and trust him to provide. And I'm not just talking to you, but I'm talking to me too. It's been a busy week for me. Um, Some of you know that I'm also in school uh, while working full time. And and this is the last week of the term. And I'm so excited about it um, because I get a break for a few weeks. But that also means as the final week that I, I have a, a couple final projects due this week as well. Sunday night, 11.59 p.m. <laughs> and in the middle of my busy Friday, I had to run to the store really quickly, just about 10 minutes to pick up a few things. And I would figured I'd go in, you know, I'm not one of those browse aisle by aisle shoppers. I like to you know, go get what I want on aisle five and, you know, sometimes take somebody with me so they can get in line really quickly. I don't like grocery shopping, but my family still eats. Thanks. Thanks, babe. Um, so, of course, I was wearing my, my mask and I decided to put a hoodie on, too, because that helps me move faster, I guess. Um, so 
And it wasn't because I didn't want to be recognized. I just thought I would do a sneak attack in the store. And, um, you know, I wanted to get in and get out. But it just so happened, the first person I see at the store is one of those people I want to avoid. Even with my mask and hoodie, she recognized me right away. And if I could, I would have gone the other way. I would have acted like I didn't see her. I would have gone back home because I'll just get it tomorrow. I don't know. Um, not because I don't love her, because, but because I didn't have the time and energy to give her what she needed from me. I knew, I knew she was going to need something from me. And so I kind of put my head down. Then I was like, hey, how are you? And then that turned into a full conversation. And then I was like, I, I, I must have told her about 10 times. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just getting in, getting out. I really got to get home. And somehow she just didn't even hear me. She overlooked every single time I mentioned that. And so I was like, okay, girl, walk with me. Let's go. Let's shop together. So we, we shopped together. We stood in line together. And then I took her home. We talked we prayed, we cried. And so probably halfway through this hour and a half outing that was supposed to be 10 minutes, I heard God saying in response to my rising anxiety, your work is not that important. You have your priorities all wrong. And in my heart, I was like, but God, I'm, I'm preaching on Sunday. I have this stuff to do. I got work and I have school. I don't have time for this. And again, he says, your priorities are all wrong. Your work is not that important. You would rather teach about justice than do it. Nothing you have waiting at home is more important than this person right in front of you. Have mercy. Show love. Give grace. And as he was speaking to me, I was reminded of this story in Luke chapter 10, a very familiar story. Let's go there. Luke 10, verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions. Doesn't that sound familiar? We always do that. I always do that. He wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, 
And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over him, over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed mercy. The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. I'm sure many of us have heard this story before. Even other religions, people who are irreligious, they use this text as an example of how we should treat one another. And the interesting thing, so I won't go into all of the details of it, but the interesting thing about this story is we often identify with the Samaritan or maybe one of the others who passed by. But we rarely consider ourselves the man who was attacked and left for dead in need of help. The truth is at some point in your life, you could be any one of these people in this story. But make no mistake, you were absolutely that man who was left for dead on the side of the road in need of mercy when God rescued you. So with that in mind, we go and extend ourselves to others who don't deserve it. We have mercy. We ought to show love. We ought to give grace. And Jesus does not call us to do something he hasn't already done himself. In fact, he was telling this story of the Good Samaritan, knowing that he himself would not just be the one inconveniencing himself or giving his own resources, but he was actually getting ready to be crucified for the whole world. Let's look at that example of Jesus in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 8. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, love others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
whenever you're unsure of what justice looks like or how to do justice, look at Jesus. Jesus, God in the flesh, gave up his rights. He relinquished all of his privileges as God to become a human sacrifice for the world. The same world that rejected him, the same world that didn't believe him, the world who received his miracles, ate his fish and his loaves, but still criticized him and ultimately crucified him. I know you love him now, but you used to be his enemies. And it was at that time that he died for you, that he died for us. It was his love that won you over. It was his mercy that you fell in love with. It was his grace that you couldn't get enough of. So you have to know that God is a righteous judge and he is a God of equity beyond your comprehension. I know we think we made this up, this whole equity, inclusion, diversity idea. We think we invented it, but no, these are God's ideas. This is what was in his heart. And after we have received such mercy from the righteous judge and we bear his name, we must look like him and be like him, be doers of justice. So following Jesus' example, let's go to the church. Let's look at our community. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And I'm reading a lot of scripture today because there's a lot of rhetoric. There's a lot of speech and a lot of opinions and ideas. But we have to be centered on the word of God. We have to understand what the word says, what God is calling us to do. And so it's necessary to be word-centered. Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. The, script, the scripture goes on to speak of the gifts given to the church for the purpose of edifying, equipping, and building up unifying us all. We have the apostles, prophets, preachers, teachers, evangelists. And so when the church is functioning and growing as it should, we get this result. Let's go down to verse 14. Ephesians 4, 14 says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, 
who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Rather than fighting against one another, God, God's design for us is to fight for one another. We speak the truth in love and we actually bring healing to one another just as the natural body comes together to bring aid to its wounded parts. We get to see this in action in our community groups. I know it's difficult to get to know everybody here. Um, so you may not know everybody at Park Hill, but you should get to know the people in your community. And so I just want to talk about our community a little bit. Our community group is pretty special. We have different cultures, ethnicities, generations, political views, and can even have some heated theological discussions at times. It's not always easy bearing with one another, but we get so much joy from it. We literally have Black Lives Matter supporters and Trump supporters at the same table, loving each other, sharing meals, giving of our time and substance for one another. It's not the easiest thing to do, but we are members of the same body and our primary identity is loved daughters and sons of God. So when one of us expresses a need, we reach into our pockets and we help. When one of us is sick, we rally around that person to pray and believe God for healing. When we offend one another, because it does happen, we put our egos in check and submit to one another for forgiveness. We are very different people. We are not uniformed, but we are united. We are one body, and we do as Jesus did by laying our lives down for one another. Doing what Jesus did, following his example, this is why we wait. We have this anxious, excited anticipation for the coming of our Lord into our homes and our churches, we setting up residence in our hearts to change us and to show us his way. Otherwise, we cannot do this work without him. Brothers and sisters, you cannot love well without him. Because trust me, somebody is going to call you a name that you don't like. Somebody is going to be difficult to love. They're going to do something that offends you. And this is in the church. But when we are filled with the Spirit of God, we can walk in the Spirit and do what Jesus did and show love. There are hundreds of scriptures on justice. And as I stated before, God is the righteous judge and justice is in his heart. As we wrap up, I want to take you to the prayer of Solomon. As the new king, I'm sure Solomon had many things on his mind. Will I be as good as my father David? Will the people love me? What about my brothers who oppose me? Will I conquer my enemies? Can I even do this? God was delighted in Solomon's prayer for wisdom to govern his people. So when we are overwhelmed and unsure how to approach these weighty issues, 
and even more importantly, how to do justice among God's people, how to properly represent them, how to treat one another even in small matters. Go back to Solomon's prayer. And this is 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And I hear, and here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous, they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? God was so pleased with Solomon's prayer. He didn't ask for riches or victory in all of his battles. God's people were his primary concern. He wanted to do them justice. So God gave him what he asked for. In fact, he over-delivered and he gave him everything. I encourage you to pray just as Solomon did for wisdom to do justice among his people to understand how precious they are to him. And I want to be faithful with my request to God as well, to love his people. So here's my version of Solomon's prayer. Lord God, you have put me on this earth, in this skin, in this country, among these people, and I don't know what I'm doing. I have my own thoughts my own biases, my own experiences, but I don't know everything. And sometimes I feel like I don't know anything. But you've put these people around me to love. They are your people. They are beautiful people made in your image and your likeness. And you love them and you cherish them. They are your heartbeat. And I don't want to mishandle your heart. Please give me wisdom to know what to do, how to understand them, how to stand up for them, how to walk with them, how to be just. Father, but who by herself can create change? Not me. Lord, I need your wisdom. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the wisdom that is found in the word. We thank you for your spirit, God, that dwells with us, that works on us. God, that works in us, even when we are in opposition to you, even when we disagree, even when our hearts are hard, God, you work on us. God, we thank you for your long suffering. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. 